following sermon was delivered at the 1030 worship service at the United Methodist Church of Kent. Please enjoy. The sermon this morning is a continuation of a sermon series entitled Living in the Vine, based upon Jesus' teaching where he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. The image suggests that when we are connected to Christ, as branches are connected to the vine, we will flourish. Yet sometimes people who are living in faith encounter great troubles. How are we to understand what God is doing when we are in the midst of difficult and perplexing times? We can gain insight into that question as we consider this morning the story of Abraham which also has a very meaningful connection with the events of Holy Week. Let's be for a moment in the spirit of prayer. May the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The story of Abraham that we heard from the book of Genesis begins, after these things, God tested Abraham. Are we to understand that when we encounter difficult times, God is testing us in some way to see perhaps whether we will have faith. Here in a university community, we know the educational value of tests to check how well students have mastered the material at hand. But if God gives us spiritual tests to see how we will perform, we are in trouble. Indeed, in the realm of testing, Abraham had already failed well before he ever got to that mountain with Isaac. In an earlier chapter in Genesis, the story is recounted about how Abraham and Sarah were in Egypt, and Abraham felt threatened that someone like the Pharaoh might kill him in order to take Sarah. The test, in this case, was whether Abraham could trust in God to protect him and Sarah. Abraham sold Sarah out, saying that she was his sister and she was taken by the Pharaoh. Abraham completely bombed that test. Fortunately, God is merciful. God rescued Sarah and Abraham and brought them safely out of the land of Egypt. And even though Abraham had failed miserably, God did not give up on him. That story illustrates that God does not give us tests in order to determine whether or not we merit a place in God's plan. God includes us in God's eternal promises, even though we may not be worthy at all. So how then are we to understand the testing that Abraham later encountered with his son Isaac? This past week was spring break in the Kent schools. There are always some families during spring break who go to Disney World. And at Epcot, there is a ride, as you may know, called Test Track. On your way into Test Track, you design your own car. Then you get into an actual little car and you zoom around a test course where you whip around curves and finally zing outside at 60 miles an hour before braking quickly to a final stop. At the end, they display how well your designed car supposedly performed. 
It's all great fun, of course. It is meant to mimic what is done in actual car design and testing. Through testing, engineers refine and further develop the ideal shape and structure for a new model of car. In Abraham, God was, in essence, creating a new model for humanity, a model of faith and commitment to God. In the process, Abraham would go through a time of testing, which would refine, shape, and deepen his faith, so that in the end, he would be an example of faith for generations to come. In real life, of course, testing is not always fun. A time of testing may be a rough experience. For Abraham, it would be an excruciatingly difficult experience. But God's aim was that Abraham would spiritually grow through it all so as to play a key role in God's purposes. The story begins after these things. The phrase, these things, refers to God's promises to Abraham, the promise that he would have many descendants and that through his descendants, the whole world would be blessed. After a very long wait, the promise was at least initially fulfilled in Isaac, who by the point of the story is a young boy. But now, in the waning days of Abraham's life, Abraham, was asked to do something which causes one's heart to recoil. He was asked to sacrifice his son. Child sacrifice was practiced in some pagan religions in Abraham's day. God, through the course of the story, of course, would show Abraham and everyone after him clearly that child sacrifice is not to be practiced. But in the context of the story, the command from God to sacrifice his son was something that to Abraham would at least seem conceivable, something that a God might demand. But it is no less horrible and full of pathos. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, says the command, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will show you. This past week, we witnessed the horror of three nine-year-old children and three adults being slaughtered by an attacker in Nashville. It was utterly senseless and absolutely dreadful. So imagine a parent, Abraham, receiving a command from God to slaughter his own young son, Isaac, as a burnt offering to God. You can hardly think of anything more dreadful, more incomprehensible, more utterly senseless than that. That is the point. God asks Abraham to do something that goes against all goodness, all meaning, with no reason given for it whatsoever. Indeed, for Abraham, Sacrificing Isaac would not only be horrendous beyond comprehension, but it would also contravene the very promises that God had given Abraham and for which 
Abraham had been waiting for years. God had promised Abraham many descendants through whom the whole world would be blessed. Abraham had one descendant, Isaac, who had finally been born when Abraham and Sarah were both very old. Abraham was the child of promise on whom the future now depended. God was asking Abraham to destroy the promise by destroying his own son. You cannot make any sense out of this. Here is our first major connection point with the story. There are times for us when life does not add up, when we just cannot make sense out of what is happening to us or what is happening to people we love. What Abraham is called to do in this context is to trust to simply trust in God. Precisely here is the testing. Can Abraham trust and follow God when nothing makes sense, when he is unable to understand, and when to keep trusting and to keep following will be extremely painful? Can we trust when we are in perplexity and pain? Verse 3 says, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men, and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. Imagine Abraham chopping the wood, the knot in his stomach with each blow. Imagine him guiding Isaac out of the tent to start the journey. Nothing is said in the story about Abraham's emotions, but through the sparse lines you can feel the agony. Yet Abraham trusts God. He follows God's call. Here the story gives us a major word of encouragement. When life doesn't make sense, when each step is painful, trust in God. That somehow in all this, God will be at work. After three days, imagine that journey, Abraham arrives at the place. The place, Mount Moriah, is later identified in the book of Chronicles as what is now the site of Jerusalem, Mount Zion. Abraham tells his two servants to wait with the donkey while he and Isaac move on. The story continues. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, Father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. God will provide the lamb. Does Abraham say this in order to deflect the heart-rending question of his son, where is the lamb? Is Abraham thinking that God will in some way act before Isaac dies in order to somehow make sense of all this? We cannot know the mind or the heart of Abraham, but the words that Abraham speaks will prove profoundly true. As the story progresses, Abraham binds Isaac, lays him upon the altar, raises the knife over him, and suddenly 
a voice says, stop. Abraham sees a lamb that has caught itself in a nearby thicket. Isaac is to be spared. God has provided the lamb. Paul would later say in the New Testament, God will not let you be tested beyond your strength, but with the testing, he will also provide the way out. Times of testing come upon us. Such testing is not necessarily to be understood as being sent upon us by God. Testing may come as the result of the behavior of others or simply the consequences of the circumstances of life. But however the testing comes, we may find ourselves in times of severe duress and strain when there appears to be no good way forward. We may long for explanations and answers, but see no solutions. When we find ourselves in such times, the story of Abraham draws us to cast ourselves in faith upon God. Can we trust that God will indeed provide a way? Paul surely had the Abraham story in the back of his mind when he said, God will not let you be tested beyond your strength, but with the testing, he will also provide the way out. The story of Abraham, however, not only shows it, that God will provide a way when we find ourselves in times of personal testing. The story also speaks to the much larger answer that God ultimately provides for the greatest problem of the human race. The Abraham story takes place against the backdrop of the first 11 chapters in the book of Genesis, which describe the whole slide of humanity away from God. In those early chapters, we are told of how people fall into sin, into separation from God, how they end up in enmity toward one another, and how in their alienation from God, they are in bondage to death. With Abraham, God begins to answer our human problem. It is an answer that will come to its culmination in Jesus. And we can observe in Jesus some remarkable parallels to the story of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham and Isaac head towards a mountain where the sacrifice is to be made. Jesus heads toward Mount Calvary, and it is literally the same mountain, the mountain of Jerusalem. The story of Abraham and Isaac emphasizes that the father and son walk on together. Jesus would say, I and my father are one. And there's a sense in the story of Jesus that the father and son move together toward the mountain of sacrifice. In the story of Abraham and Isaac, Abraham tells the servants to go aside while Abraham and Isaac go on to their destiny. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, tells his disciples to stay in one place while he goes off to wrestle with his destiny. Going up the mountain, Isaac carries the wood of the sacrifice. Jesus carries the cross. In both stories, nothing seems to make sense. The disciples at the time of the crucifixion could not make any sense out of what was happening. It was only later that they would understand. Overall, in both stories, there's a great sense of testing. There's a faithful response to that testing. And in the end, God provides.
But then there's also an important switching of roles that occurs as we read these stories. When we hear the story of Abraham and Isaac, we initially very likely identify with Abraham. Along with Abraham, we sense that we are called to trust in God in the face of trials and to have the conviction that God will provide. But then as we consider our overall human condition, we realize that we also are Isaac. Because of our human sinfulness, we are bound by sin and weakness, and we are destined for death. When the knife of death is raised over us, will there be anyone to say, stop? On Mount Calvary, God says stop to the power of sin and death as Jesus comes forth as the Lamb. In Jesus, God provides the way out for us as Jesus takes upon himself the death that was to fall upon us so that we can be delivered. And thus it is that the promise to Abraham that through his posterity the whole world would be blessed comes to its fulfillment in Jesus. Through Jesus, God provides the way for us to move out of death into life, out of spiritual alienation into fellowship with God, out of emptiness into the fullness of God's blessings. When Abraham at the end of today's story names the mountain the Lord will provide, it is an indication of how God one day on that mountain would provide the way for all of us to enter into new and everlasting life. What both stories call for is faith a trust in God so deep that we follow God even when it does not seem to be to our advantage and even when we do not understand. It is a faith well beyond what we see in most of the crowd on Palm Sunday. In Jerusalem on that day, people, many people cheered for Jesus, but the crowd was not ready to follow Jesus, especially to the cross. When we choose instead the path of faith to journey with Jesus up the mountain, it may be at times a very difficult journey, but we discover in the end that God does provide. For God is a God of grace and salvation with promises that are everlasting. Let us pray. O oh Lord, when we find ourselves in times of perplexity and pain, lead us to recognize that you are at work. Your plans exceed far our comprehension. Guide us, O oh Lord, in such times to trust in you, to know that you are a God who provides, a God who is here to work in us, to uplift us in your grace and strength, to guide us through each challenge to lead us to share in fellowship with you and to be a part of your promises that are everlasting. We take hold of the good news that even as we are facing great threats and the ultimate threat of death, Jesus has come forth as the lamb, taking upon himself the death due to us, atoning for our sin that, oh God, we might be reconciled with you Lead us as we would respond in faith, as we receive that message of your saving grace, as we live then today 
in fellowship of God with you and with one another. We thank you that in your grace you draw us together in the life of your church. We do pray for persons in our fellowship who are in times of particular need. We pray for those who are sick and pray especially this morning for Tim Smith, Kathleen Munn, Hal Hall, Suzanne Burns, Winima Flasher, Greg Curtin, praying for these and others who are in times of illness or surgeries, praying, oh God, for your healing power. We also remember those who are mourning. We lift up especially Becky Head and family upon the death of Bill Head, entrusting Bill, O oh Lord, into your everlasting arms. Lead us as we would take hold of your promise of everlasting life, that indeed you open up the way for us from death into life. We can rest in that promise today. We can look to you with confidence in your assurances that are eternal. We thank you that you draw us, O Lord, into the larger church and lift up our fellow United Mothers today at the new Pittsburgh United Mothers Church. And O Lord, in this time when our United Methodist Church is dividing, we pray that you would give us the vision to trust in how you are calling us forward, how you are leading us to be a community of faith that welcomes all, that grows together, a place in which everyone can experience your love and your saving grace and compassion, and a place where we can join to reach out into the world, whole world with your good news and your compassion. Lead us, O Lord, that we might truly acclaim you as Savior and King and follow you together in faith. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this edition of the United Methodist Church of Kent Sermon Podcast. For more information about the church, visit www.kentmethodist.org.